welcome to this episode of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast, in which we shall learn about the new Michael Moore-produced documentary, Planet of the Humans. Amanda will be joining me after our first clip. She was actually here earlier, but I had to re-record this intro for technical reasons, which is not interesting. Uh, before we get started, I have just a few thoughts to share. Uh, I want to give you sort of an index for this show. It's, it's a big show. It's dense. There's a lot of parts of it. So I, I want to let you know what's coming and that uh, the show notes are going to be very detailed. They're going to have time codes. We got chapter markers for people who can use chapter markers. So if you need to you know, bounce around or find specific parts, you're going to be able to. The short version of this story should just be that an untalented, scientifically illiterate first-time filmmaker made a bad film about renewable energy. And if we lived in a just world, that would be all there was to say about it, that the film would just float off into the ether. Unfortunately, Michael Moore, who did not write or direct the film, decided to put his name on it anyway, and so millions of people are going to see it, and it is our duty to push back against the misinformation, because it really is terrible. So, uh, this show is going to include sections on uh, how the film misrepresents the science of renewables, uses outdated science and data, which is no longer true— we will show how the filmmakers have no defense for their outdated science. They discuss the conversation that they were hoping to spark with their film, and we show how they have completely failed to do that. We discuss the mechanics of making a deceptive documentary so that you can have the tools to go forward and sort of know what to be on the lookout for, not just in this film, but in any documentary that may be misleading. Uh, the filmmakers liken mountaintop wind farms to mountaintop removal coal mining, and I disagree, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we talk about the real-world impacts of the film on the climate movement, who's benefiting, who's being hurt by it. We show that the producers ultimately defend their bad science by saying that science doesn't matter, and the point of the movie would be the same regardless even though they focus more than half of the film on the science because that is clearly foundational to their argument. Uh, ultimately, they stumble into accidental eugenics of all things because they can't help but allude to the need for some version of population control, though they are very firm on saying that they do not advocate that, but they give literally no other solution and sort of allude to the need for lower population. Um, but strangely, there's absolutely no talk of reproductive justice, and frankly, it's a pitiful representation of anyone other than middle-aged white guys. And finally, we finish with responses from the modern climate movement to the film, represented by uh, Extinction Rebellion and the Sunrise Movement, as well as Michael Moore's former fact-checker who was not involved in this film and has nothing good to say about it. Now, first, just a quick intro of my own. I've been researching this movie for days now. I thought it was going to be quick. I was going to watch the film, read a few articles, have a conversation. That would be it. Uh, I, I've been at this now for three solid days, maybe three and a half. I've literally lost count. I've been losing sleep because I, I try to go to bed and my mind races angrily thinking about everything I want to say about this movie. And many of the criticisms I've been reading have been saying that it is so bad that it is as if 
the propaganda is intentional, as if the fossil fuel industry approached Michael Moore's production team and said, make a movie to make us look good. And, you know, I dismissed that initially. I was like, how could, I mean, there's no way that this is intentional propaganda. And then I actually saw the film for myself and understood what those critics meant. I understood it really is so bad. It is as if, like, if someone told you that it was commissioned by Exxon, you would believe it. That said, I do not think that it is intentional propaganda. Uh, I believe that there is no need to assume malice where incompetence will do, and these filmmakers prove themselves to be profoundly incompetent time and time again. Uh, it is important to point out that the filmmakers expected for their movie to be rejected by the climate movement and the scientific community. Why? Because they think the entire movement, including all the scientists and engineers, have a sort of religious faith that technology is going to save us when, in fact, only these three filmmakers understand the truth. So you won't be surprised to hear that they also tend to believe in conspiracy theories. That is that is the direction their thinking is taking them. So I want to say with utmost confidence that it is not that this film is presenting, as the producers would have you believe, truths that are just too hard for us to handle. It really is full to the brim with falsehoods. And it is those falsehoods that are clearly the foundation of most of the arguments the film is making. But the saddest thing is that many of the underlying points they say they're trying to make are actually completely valid. Some of the truths are not at all too hot to handle. I would be happy to talk about those truths. It's just that they've decided to make their arguments in the worst possible way so that the conversation that they say they were hoping to have is not happening at all because it's obscured by all of the nonsense. So there are dozens of articles and videos debunking the film. We're going to be linking to many of them in the show notes. Uh, if you or someone you know may have been exposed to this film without being inoculated by reading any of the criticism about it, uh, then it is your duty to spread the word, whether it be this episode of the show or any of the dozens of articles or videos. Uh, please help spread the word to help reduce the damage this misinformation is doing. Okay, so we obviously have lots to get to. I'm going to get into our first clip. This is from Now You Know, their debunking video on YouTube talking all about the film. And I'm just going to go straight to one of the wildest claims in the movie where they really set the tone for the filmmakers consistently misrepresenting or maybe just misunderstanding science, usually by giving you only half the picture. Then we get introduced to Ozzy Zenner, and we're told that he is a visiting scholar, and here's what he says. One of the most dangerous things right now is the illusion that alternative technologies like wind and solar are somehow different from fossil fuels. Well, I hear a lot of the times that solar cells are made out of sand. Have you ever thought about solar panels? The main ingredient that makes them work is silicon or sand. This is the raw material chips are made of, sand. They don't use sand at all. So they use, I'll show you what they... This is this is one of the, the ingredients. It's actually mined quartz. Spruce pine, North Carolina, regarded as the finest source of high-purity quartz in the world for semiconductor, solar, and communication applications. But you can't use sand because sand has too many impurities. So you start with a very high-quality quartz and a very high-quality coal. And then you put those two together into uh, an arc furnace, and you melt them. 
The quartz is then melted with coal in a large furnace at temperatures of up to 1,800 degrees. So you need more coal to do that. So let's get another coal out. So when we melt these together, we get silicon metal and carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide just goes off and you get rid of the carbon, you're left with silicon metal. This is not clean coal. Not clean yeah. coal. <laughs> that was kind of misleading to me because he shows you a piece of coal and some quartz and he tells you that basically you put these two together and you get a solar panel and that basically without coal, you can't have solar. Well, even if that's true, even if we take that at, at its face value, um, under that argument, we probably shouldn't be making anything because to make practically anything, you need to take some stuff either out of the earth or some energy to make it. But it's completely not true what he was saying. I mean, I think this quote from Eric Wessoff uh, puts it quite nicely. He is from the editor of PV Magazine, and he's a renewable energy analyst. He said, it's difficult to take the film seriously on any topic when it botches the solar portion so thoroughly. Although the film was released in 2020, the solar industry it examines, whether through incompetence or veniality, is from somewhere back in 2009. And yes, so um, a lot of things were told here by Ozzy are outdated or are misleading. And I just want to point out this fact. So he's basically saying that, you know, solar panels, you think they're so great, but they're made from coal and quartz. And they go on to show a montage of, you know, blowing up sides of mountains to get at the quartz and and getting coal out of the ground. And I, I'll admit, you do have to make these panels out of something. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, some of them are made that way. But the energy that you put into making this panel is about $20. And the amount of energy, and I'm talking about this, like this panel right here, one solar panel, mm -hmm. the amount of energy you're going to get out over its lifetime. And the lifetime of this panel, by the way, is not eight years or 10 years like they talk about in this uh, documentary. The lifetime, the guaranteed lifetime is 30 years. And many of these panels that are of older technology than this have actually been lasting for 50 years. So it's expected that you could easily get 50 years out of this panel. The $20 it takes to make this panel in coal and energy, you'll get over a thousand dollars worth of energy out of this panel over its lifetime. Right. His argument is bogus. Right. And keep in mind that the reason that we're talking about 50 year old panels, it's not like they last 50 years and then they catch on fire. They it's just because it's now. It's right. right now. I mean, when did we invent solar panels? About 50 years ago. Right. And a lot of them are still working. Now, they're not working at the optimal efficiency that they had when they were built. But they are still generating power. And that is the thing to keep in mind. And as time goes forward and we get better at producing uh, solar panels, we are getting them so that they will last longer and longer. Right now, we're getting close to a 0.5% loss per year, which is extraordinarily good. It means that the panels aren't going to be dead for practically 100 years. Yeah, after 25 years, this panel right here in front of us will still operate at 87.5% of the efficiency of when it was installed. So that means this 300-watt panel would put out 262.5 watts. That's after 25 years of sitting in the sun and rain. Okay, now, so just a quick interjection to say that this is going to be the recurring theme, that to the degree that any science they mention that happens to have been true at any time, it is because they are using science that is at least five years old, some, sometimes ten years old, and literally none of it is still true today because they're so short-sighted that they pretend as if innovation 
doesn't exist. Yeah, I and mean, they the had a thesis and they had to keep going even if uh, the world changed around it. <laughs> that is pretty much the case. So, and this next one, same source responding to uh, the other argument, which is ancient. This is what people were talking about 10 years ago. There are solutions now that didn't exist 10 years ago. The uh, giant air quotes problem with intermittency of renewable energy. What they did imply was that if you build a solar power plant, you're going to need to build a natural gas plant right off to the side there to keep it going because of its intermittency. What I want to point out is if the filmmakers wanted to, they could have called on this data from January of this year, which shows that 76% of new electrical energy generation in 2020 will come from solar, which is 32%, and wind, which is 44%, with natural gas coming in third at 22%. Coal is not even mentioned because it's being retired. Because no one wants to build a coal power plant anymore. Right. And that's not just because they're all the people who, you know, are going to go out and protest. It's because it's less cost efficient to build a coal power plant to generate electricity. Again, this information came from about five years ago when batteries may not have been a viable solution. But in that time, there's been things like the Tesla Hornsdale battery in South Australia and power walls that show that batteries are a possible solution. It's just they didn't want to mention it in this segment of the movie. But they did want to talk about how solar is intermittent. What's stopping us from running the world on 100% solar and wind? Well, intermittency is one of the major challenges. with Grid stability. The sun's everywhere, except when it's not there. There's a lot of developers that were flocking to California wanting to uh, connect their solar farms and wind farms. The utilities would turn to me and my team to help them look at what the impact to their grid would be. When we add solar cells or wind turbines to a grid, do we get to shut off a coal plant? Uh, that's certainly the goal. The problem is, or the difference is that renewables are intermittent. All of a sudden, a cloud cover could come over and, all, and your solar generation could drastically decrease. And if you don't have something else there to meet whatever the load is at that moment, uh, then you're going to have power outages. The premise that solar and wind don't work all the time is correct. The sun isn't always out and the wind isn't always blowing. But the entire premise that we need those peaker plants is completely bogus because they are now being replaced by batteries. Now, this isn't on the largest scale. It's not like every peaker plant is right now, as we speak, being torn down and being replaced by a giant battery pack. But the technology is there and has been proven with, you know, the Hornsdale battery plant, as along with lots of other battery projects around the world. So it is possible to do this. But instead of talking about that, he talks about this. He shows this graph, which shows that batteries are less than one tenth of one percent of what is needed. And he says that a couple of years they begin to degrade and they have to be replaced a few years later and that some solar panels only last 10 years. So both of those assertions are completely false. The battery, the number of batteries right now in the world, yes, is a very, very small amount of what we would actually need. But if you were to point at anything at its infancy and be like, oh, there's only 5,000 cell phones in the world. No one's going to have cell phones. That's a completely bogus argument. But now let's get into this. This batteries need to be replaced after a few years. It's really not true at all, especially, especially, especially when we're talking about grid scale batteries, because right. you can actually use batteries that are recycled out of cars that no longer perform at their peak. They no longer have the capacity um, to be that useful in an electric car. You can use them on 
grid scale solar or off grid solar, whatever kind of uh, solar or wind projects you want, those batteries will work for a very, very long time. Again, it's a slow degradation. They don't just fall apart one day. It's not like a car where you're like, "Uh oh, one thing broke. It doesn't work anymore. And then he implies that the carbon cost to build more batteries is so great. But he ignores the fact that, yes, there's a carbon cost to building more batteries, but there's also a bigger carbon savings to eliminating the dirty infrastructure that we have now. All of this gets ignored and leaves you thinking that, oh, well, of course, this can't be the solution. And this is going to be the other theme, the use of misleading information that le- because it leaves out huge parts the way the way uh, counterspin one of my favorite shows likes to frame this is uh, new york yankees six uh <laughs> okay you're kind of giving a sports score you're not really giving us anything uh substantive that we can use to understand what happened so they they talk about the problem with building infrastructure they make no comment whatsoever about the benefits of building infrastructure. Mm-hmm. They make no comparison between the cost of building renewables versus the cost, I mean, both financially and environmentally, of building non-renewables, n- not just right up front, but over the course of time. Never, ever, ever do they mention any of that. Yeah. They don't even interview anybody who knows any of that information. Like, it's just not discussed. It is It is not part of their thinking whatsoever. And as I said, the problem with their science is that it's all old. So to be fair, here is the, the filmmaker being questioned about his use of bad science. Jeff, I want to go to you as well. I mean, we've seen a letter circulated by Josh Fox, who seems to be one of the chief antagonists of the film. He says, quote, the film touts blatantly untrue fossil fuel industry talking points, deceitfully misleading its audience on renewable energy and disparages and attacks important climate leaders. Jeff, what's your response to that? Uh, Yeah, thank you. Um, Wow. We went to uh, great pains to show you what was happening actually in the field with solar and wind, and many of our experts are actually people in the solar and wind industry that we went to to verify what we were saying. Uh, we actually filmed a lot of the interviews at a solar expo. So we'll pause here. Uh, I'm going to let him give the rest of his answer, but that is everything he had to say about science. Yeah. He spoke for 20 seconds or so. The criticism is your science is old, it is out of date. If it was ever true, it is not true anymore. And his response was, we talked to experts. That is his entire defense. And specifically about his defense about, uh, well, we went to a solar expo. I think it deserves picking apart a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the the idea that you go to an an expo, which, mind you, is also called a trade show – and look, I, I used to, I, you know, work in the communications field. I used to go to these kinds of things. I used to go to these kinds of things. The communications person at an organization or the salespeople at an organization go to expos. Why? Because an expo or a trade show is about selling products. It is not a convention where you might have breakout sessions and keynote speakers and have the brightest minds in the industry do panels on a specific topic. You do not go to an expo or a trade fair to find experts. They are not there. 
the people that are there are the people with very surface level information who know how to sell a product, who know how to tell you like the basics so that you understand how a product might work and why you might buy it. Like it's literally an advertising session, basically. And the idea that you would go somewhere like that and say, I interviewed a bunch of experts because it was all these people at who attended a solar expo. That is a sales pitch group of people. That is all they are there to do. And what the directors are doing, they are outing themselves as being incompetent at their job. Yeah. To say I went to a solar expo and talked to experts means you're a dummy. You don't know how to make a documentary. Right. There are much better people to go talk to. And then that's only compounded by the fact that what these people are saying, they said years and years ago. Okay, he continues. Um, and we don't attack any environmental leaders. We need our environmental leaders. We just are in the wrong story. So most of the film shows you, in their own words, uh, what they're advocating for and what they're doing. Uh, so the the uh, you know we're the opposite of from the fossil fuel industry. We're from our own side, asking questions about what we say is going to save the world. And I think it's it should be permitted to have discussions. Uh, you know, among ourselves, among the people who believe in climate change, that know that the environment's in trouble, about what's going to work and what's not going to work. And that was our intent, to trigger a, a discussion and to raise a lot of questions. We don't have all the answers, but we want to have a discussion about, you know, this is so much bigger than climate change. You know, we've um, eaten 90% of the fish in the ocean. Half of the wildlife have disappeared in the last 40 years primarily because of expanding logging and agriculture. Fossil fuels is tragic, but there's a lot more to our damaging the planet than, than just climate change. And so I wanted to spark a holistic discussion about all the things we humans are doing and about whether these green technologies were even going to solve climate change, let alone all of these other things that are happening around the planet. Um, so, And I think looking at ourselves as a single species that's um, got this addiction to growth uh, my theory is that infinite growth on a finite planet is called suicide. And that's what we have to address. So I wanted to play that that full answer uh, or series of answers to demonstrate that there's a lot of agreement about what they were trying to do with their film and what I would have liked for them to do with their film. But when I heard this answer and I heard the reference to overfishing, my first thought was they never talked about fishing in the movie. <laughs> and only later I thought, oh, wait, did they for like 30 seconds yeah. mention fishing, which is the entire problem? They just mentioned farming, fish farming. They did not talk about what they're explaining in this clip. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and so th this is what I'm saying. They had plenty of great points that I would have loved for them to have made well. Instead, they made a movie with lots of debunkable science, which distracts from all of the good points that they could have been making with their film instead.
This ad is a warning. Our democracy is under attack from the U.S. Supreme Court. In the middle of a deadly global pandemic, people across Wisconsin were planning on voting absentee to keep themselves and their families safe. But the night before the election, five Republican justices on the Supreme Court told thousands of people they would have to choose between risking their lives and forfeiting their right to vote. The Supreme Court favoring Republican interests over our democracy is nothing new. They gutted the Voting Rights Act, they invited billionaires and corporations to spend unlimited amounts trying to influence elections, they gave a green light to gerrymandering, voter ID laws, and voter roll purges. Now, a progressive movement is rising up to fight back, because it's quite possible the Wisconsin case won't be the last 2020 showdown over voting rights to be settled in the courts, and we simply can't trust this court to put aside partisan views and protect people's right to vote. Our courts are becoming too political, and it's time to say enough. Learn more about how you can join the fight by visiting demandjustice.org best. That's demandjustice.org best. Next up, we get into one of the major criticisms of the film, not about exactly what it says, but how it gives no solution whatsoever and only presents you with a vacuum that they they sort of nudge you in the direction of population control. They, they, they don't say it. They claim that they're not in favor of it. They nudge you in that direction and and just leave the audience to imagine what the solution is. And so a lot of criticism is, okay, so what are we talking about here? Uh, you know, eco-fascism, we're talking about killing off a lot of people, we're talking about letting a lot of people die, like, what do you mean? And so that's where uh, this next question and answer series comes from. Michael and Pick and Jeff picking up on those points. Ozzy, I want to get you in here, which is that a critique of growth and talking about growth could lead some to surmise that you're saying that we don't need any more growth, or it could even lead to the idea that we need to restrict our populations, our growth in many of these things. Is that something that the film is suggesting? Just help Ozzy think through the implications of the film and its critique of growth as a species and economically. Our basic conception of economic growth is flawed in, in a big way. And the reason is because actually as we grow, as our human presence grows, there is less natural material available for us to live on. So actually growth means that there is a reduction in natural material per capita worldwide as more and more people consume more and more. Uh, what we need is a, a rethinking of that system, trying to think how do we come back to a level where everyone can have what they need uh, in order to survive, which people don't have currently, uh, and also be in line with the long-term viability of the planet that we live on. Mm -hmm. And so, Jeff, let's just get you in on that question as well. I mean, it sounds a bit Malthusian, um, some of what you're suggesting here. Is that an ac inaccurate characterization? What's your response to that? Absolutely. We never use the word population control. We're not in favor of population control. Mm -hmm. We merely point out, as there was a UN study uh, that came out uh, one or two years ago, it just points out that the doubling of our human numbers and the quadrupling of our human economy is the prime driver of extinction on this planet. Uh, is the UN favoring, you know, population right. control? No. There, many scientists are pointing out the obvious, but you don't read about that that much in the press anymore because it's all only focused on climate change, which, again, is a terrible, terrible issue. But uh, I think we have enough on this planet and this economy to take care of everyone. And right now we're learning that the three times 
when climate change and fossil fuel use went down, uh, you know, we're during this pandemic, um, the days after 9-11 and during the Great Recession. Now, we're just raising the question. We've got to come to terms with this expansion. We don't have the answers in the film, but it is our growth and especially our growth in consumption driven by capitalism that's that's driving this this beast. So, yeah. Um, and, and Michael, let me ask you, because I've, you know, some of the um, activists who have critiqued the film are people that I like, that I think are acting in good faith, people like Josh Fox, people like Michael Mann. And I think the core of their concern is this idea that if you make the problem so big, if you make it such that, look, we really can't address the problem without sort of fundamentally restructuring everything, then it, in a sense, plays into the hands of the fossil fuel industry who sort of want people to just throw up their hands and go, the problem's too big, let's just keep doing what we're doing. Um, is that a valid concern? Is that something that you grapple with? No, it's dangerous, actually. What, what they want us to do is... Uh, tone this thing down, tamp it down so that people don't become too overwhelmed. We can't just change overnight. Well, as Jeff just said, we have changed overnight, haven't we, in the last month. We are able to make serious fundamental changes in the way we live immediately if we think we're going to die. And that has forced the majority of people to say, I, I will do what needs to be done in order to live right now. This pandemic, this should teach us a lot about where we have failed when it comes to battling uh, uh, the climate emergency that we're in the middle of. We will definitely be getting into the real world responses to this movie, who this movie is benefiting, who is taking comfort from it, how the left that they are trying to talk to is responding to it. We're going to get into all that. But I, I just wanted to respond that Michael Moore's answer question really exemplifies the misguidedness of the movie because I also want to expand our thinking about the environmental problems that we have. I want to expand beyond climate change. I have no problem discussing growth both, both economically and population wise as contributing factors. Obviously, like I, I have no problem with that, but because they did such an unbelievably terrible job putting this film together, all of that gets lost. Mm -hmm. You don't get to have that interesting, expansive conversation no. that builds on what the climate movement has been doing for 20 years. They instead try to tear down what the climate movement has been doing for 20 years, ignore huge swaths of the climate movement that are already focusing on the things yeah. they say we need to be focusing on. Mm -hmm. They ignore it. They aren't aware of it. They don't speak to anyone who is addressing those issues and leave people with the sense that everything the climate movement has told them has been a lie. Yeah. That renewable energy doesn't work which is not true. They are using bad and outdated science. And so they are not building on that conversation and opening it up wider. They are imploding the conversation mm -hmm. and convincing people that, well, everything I've always been told it was a lie, and you are not giving me any sort of indication, as you heard them say, hey, we don't have the answers. No, we're, we're we just, have no answers. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just asking questions and throwing out a bunch of ideas yeah. that you can then figure out what to do with. And literally the only conclusion is 
uh, renewable energy doesn't work. We might as well stick with fossil fuels. And the only solution is reducing population, which we are going to get into in, in, in more detail, which is absolutely not the way to solve the problem. That is a, a an emergency. Actually, no, I'll, I'll get into it right now. The reason that population isn't the answer, even though it's part of the problem, is because reducing our population is a multi-decade endeavor. Mm -hmm. Convincing people to have fewer children, having that be a, a campaign that is not fascist and genocidal right. at, in, in its nature— to, to do it in a loving and compassionate and yeah, voluntary way. And access to birth control and like all these things that we're fighting for anyway. <laughs> that is the kind of solution that will bear fruit in 50 years. Yeah. That we're we don't in, have that long. We're in a 10 year emergency. So renewable energy that absolutely works and reduces uh, ca carbon emissions, you're saying, okay, throw that away. And we don't have any other ideas for you. And our only idea is reduce population and consumption. Mm -hmm. Consumption we can we can address, but again, they don't talk about it no. in the movie. They don't talk about how we need to reduce consumption or or how to or strategies or anything like that yeah. at all. A lot of things aren't said in that film. <laughs> it, More than they are. It, it's <laughs> More a, than it's, ama said. it's amazing how much isn't said that they claim this is what we're trying to say. Exactly. That's an, exactly. It's an amazing gap because they spend all yeah. of their time focusing on bad science and none of their time focusing on what they claim they're focusing right. on. Right. I mean, these interviews are ridiculous. Like, if you really believed all of that and that was your intention with the film and that's the point you were trying to make, put it in the damn film. It's not in the damn film. So you can't make a movie, put it out there, and then be like, oh, no, 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 no. This is what we were actually trying to do. Well, you failed. You failed extraordinarily. And now that thing has gone viral and it is being used by the people that you claim you're against. We're getting to that. Now, we just want to talk about the mechanics of a documentary. Yeah, to, to, I, I because was shocked. And how shoddy this was. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, I think rightly so, it's fine to say, look, you shouldn't watch this. I, I don't mind saying you should watch it if you are using it as a way to, like, strengthen your ability to recognize bullshit when you see it and understand how bad documentary making turns falsehoods or, or out, you know, outdated information and twists it. And makes it seem legit. Yeah, it makes it, I mean, really, it is an exercise in, like, how to identify propaganda. Because it is loose, it is, like, surface level, and it's, but it's kind of, like, grabs you, right? Like, they're using the techniques of a documentary to, like, get you to be like, whoa, 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 like, what's happening? Everything I believed isn't true anymore. I mean, like, it is manipulative. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, they, they use all the tricks, the quick jump cut editing. They they pull quick uncredited quotes from people who you don't know who they are. Yeah, but they don't tell they, you. They they go by in a blur, and you're just sort of well, it's in the documentary, so I guess that person knows what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and they and they do that just to be super clear. They're jump cutting to make it look like a lot of people believe the same thing. That is a manipulative tool of editing. Especially in every documentary, any good documentary you've ever watched, there are chirons telling you who that person is, their name, who they work for, what their job is, etc. There were so many instances where they didn't even bother to do that. And 
part of the reason is because they interviewed not anyone who you should trust. <laughs> a bunch of salesmen so, at a trade show. <laughs> so so uh, one of the articles that I, I read debunking all of this had this funny line. It said, since we're on lockdown and I have nothing better to do, I went back to conduct a start-to-finish tally of every interviewee whose lines were included in the final cut of the film. Here's the list. 25 festival attendees, group leaders, and event organizers. 20 random people off the street, 13 job fair booth attendants and marketers, or industry insiders, as the movie calls them, (laughs) eight hikers and walking tour guides, five utility construction and logging employees, three psychologists, two college kids, two authors who get their books plugged, one of whom is a producer of the film, one ecologist and one zookeeper. (laughs) Notice you didn't see experts anywhere in that what, list. <laughs> what are we missing here? Scientists, right. engineers, yeah. and anyone from the last five years. Mm-hmm. That's what we're missing. And and one of the one of the best examples of uh, what we are classifying as bad interview sourcing, mm-hmm. because if if someone's interviewed in a documentary the viewer is meant to believe they deserve to be there. Yeah, that they either know what they're talking about or they're giving an opinion that's counter to something else or like they have a purpose. <laughs> and so if you source really bad interviews, well, then you can distort the message really easily yeah. and present it as expert or, or fact mm-hmm. or whatever. So, so one of the best examples of this is they many years ago go to the launch of the GM-built Uh, Chevy Volt. Mm -hmm. GM is not a good environmental company. They are not dedicated to making electric cars. And the Chevy Volt is not an electric car. It's a hybrid Mm -hmm. car. Mm -hmm. So they they go to the launch of this and they ask the, again, the communications person, the PR (laughs) flack, how is this car being powered? It's plugged into the wall. How is it being powered? And she's like, oh, I like it, the building. Right. It's he's like, grid. right, right. But, but what energy is the building? In? Oh, well, Lansing, Michigan. I mean, that's the who provide. She has no idea what question he's even asking. Yeah. He, what he's yeah, trying to like get not at. not on the same level when he's no. asking those questions. Yeah. What he's trying to get at is that the energy coming from the grid is uh, produced by burning coal. So he eventually talks to someone who actually knows that detail. And again, many years ago, the answer given is about 95% of the energy comes from coal. Mm-hmm. So this is misleading because that is no longer the case. Right. They've transitioned. <laughs> but it is double misleading because this is where they skip over the – this is the New York Yankee 6. Mm-hmm. The energy that's going into the car comes from burning coal. Okay, but like efficiency-wise, how does that compare to a gas car? Mm-hmm. Well, it's been said for a really long time that an electric car powered by dirty energy, it's like driving a car that's like give or take at least 100 miles to the gallon. Mm-hmm. That's how you compare it. We understand fuel cost and and you know miles to the gallon of gas. So the apples to apples comparison is an EV car powered by dirty power is two, three, four times more efficient than a gasoline car. They make no mention of that whatsoever in any way. Emissions aren't discussed. (laughs) Emissions literally never come up in the film. Not once. Not once. 
And so to show that and be like, oh, it's all a lie. Electric vehicles are powered by coal misses it on so many levels as to be embarrassing to the filmmaker Mm -hmm. and should demonstrate to everyone viewing nothing they say is to be trusted. No, they don't know what they're doing. And then the other example of bad interview sourcing is the no follow-ups. Oh, yeah. So over and over again, they interview people who either are unknowledgeable about something or maybe they're the person that could be knowledgeable, but they ask them sort of an obscure question. And they say, um, actually, our organization doesn't have a policy on that, you know, because right. it's too obscure. Or, uh, or it's I, nuanced. Or it's, or it's nuanced. One person, I, I want to play this clip. Uh, one person says, uh, I'm not prepared to speak about that right now. Right. Because our position is nuanced and I want to make sure we get it right. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, that person never appears again. That was actually a really good, by the way, like, because <laughs> they're trying to interview a lot of PR people. Like, that is the answer, by the way, when you don't know. Like, PR people should just say, like, I'll have to get back to you on that. What's your information? Like, that's what PR people do. They don't just, like, spew random shit. And the, those that do end up in hot water. <laughs> and documentaries like and this. And documentaries like this. Yeah. And, and, and so... When a person says, actually, I'm not prepared to speak about this right now, have you ever heard that phrase in a documentary before? I haven't. Because what documentarian would put that phrase in a documentary? Because (laughs) because you you don't put the part where they don't give you the answer. The next question is, okay, great. When can we set up a meeting? When can I talk to you about this? And this is the manipulation because they're using that answer as a way to be like, see, they don't know anything or they're hiding something. And like, that's not the reality, but they're abusing it and manipulating you to make you think that because someone didn't have an answer for them on the spot, that they're hiding something somehow and have nefarious, you know, intentions. So the questions that he's asking are about biomass basically burning trees to make electricity. There was a window of time which has closed. Yeah, completely closed. When many environmentalists thought burning trees to make electricity may may be a good idea because, I know it doesn't like initially sound that great, but they thought, well, trees can grow back. When a tree grows, if you have a a well-managed forest, you can grow trees that suck in carbon dioxide. You can burn those trees to create energy, and the cycle repeats indefinitely. Environmentalists are no longer in favor of that, and they haven't been for at least five years. Yeah, and and what Bill McKibben says, who is attacked pretty directly in this film, his response was, yeah, we thought briefly that was a good idea. And then we did the math on emissions. And we realized it's not a full, like a complete circle, carbon offset type situation. And the timing of it is bad. That Mm -hmm. burning trees now and pumping carbon into the atmosphere now and growing trees now that will only really suck that carbon out will take decades. So Yeah, so they did the math. So they they figured it out, and they were like, oh, turns out that's not that great. Now, granted, yes, there was a little bit of a flurry of this happening around the country, but it is not the overwhelming, like, they show this map, and they put a bunch of dots all over and say, this is where all the biomass, you know, uh, plants are across the country. But, like, that's incredibly misleading. Like, it's not the predominant source of renewable energy. It's not, like, it's just not. <laughs> and and literally no one is in favor of it now. Right. Again, this is all outdated. This is playing gotcha, yeah. but five years too late. Right. So here, listen to this little exchange. I'm just curious, what's your group's stance on using forests for biomass? 
biomass is renewable, uh, biomass is uh, sustainable. And I'm uh, with clean water action. We, we don't really have a stand on it. Uh, if the director of the Sierra Club was here, she'd be able to uh, 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 talk your ear off about it. I'm the director for the Sierra Club in Pennsylvania. Does the Sierra Club support or not support biomass? Um, I'm not totally prepared to talk about our policy on biomass today. Our position is somewhat nuanced, so I just want to be, you know, careful not to... So that's just a sampling. He goes on for another minute in the documentary, uh, interviewing leaders of the movement, Van Jones, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Bill McKibben, asking them the same question, and none of them have answers because biomass is this particular guy's pet peeve, but it is not a big part of the conversation. It is an incredibly small percentage of what was then thought to be renewable energy production has since been considered not a good renewable, but he doesn't get into that at all. These are interviews. Like, one of them, I'm pretty sure, is from the 2014. Mm-hmm. Like, Bill McKibben, I think he's talking yeah. to him in 2014 yeah. um, at, at the big New York City rally. So, ancient <laughs> footage. And so, he is asking all these questions, gets no answers. Uh, he, he gets one person who he likes, who he talks to. I found only one environmental leader willing to reject biomass and biofuels. And the woman that he talks to goes on for, you know, a minute or two saying very good and nice things against biomass, which is all perfect and great. And she is saying ahead of the curve exactly what everyone now believes. And then he wraps up this section with this classic of the bad documentary genre. Her honesty was refreshing. But as for the rest of them... I wondered, what are they hiding? And why are they hiding it? As I said, classic. What are they hiding? Again, no follow-up. No attempt to get real answers from these people. No attempt to give them a chance to actually, okay, let's see, what does my organization have to say about this? We have a nuanced position. What is it? No follow-up whatsoever and he and he went to their websites and like dug into their like statements and pulled out these quotes that were fine but he made them look like they were just shocking and terrible and like really it was like that woman said they have a nuanced position on biomass fuel and like i didn't see what all the like shock factor was about based on what he was showing us no not not at all and and just we have to repeat over and over this was five or more years ago everyone's position has evolved. So the the revelation here is these people used to think this. So what? What does that tell (laughs) us about now? What that says is the leaders of the climate movement change their position as science changes. And they change their position on natural gas too. And like, this is just how it works over time. People are going to, especially in something like this, where like you're innovating constantly, you're pushing for change, like things change. (laughs) Really, really quickly. So yeah, one of the, one of the perfect, uh, I can't quote it, but points made in one of the many, many articles I read is that climate change is really hard to report on Mm -hmm. because it moves so quickly. The science about the climate moves quickly and the science about innovation and all the technology that is attempting to 
tamp down our emissions is moving even more quickly. Right. So if, if you're going to make a documentary that doesn't come like right up to today, pretty much, mm-hmm. you're going to be out of date. Yeah. Yeah. And if your whole point is science is gra- trash, the, you know, all the renewable energy doesn't work, then like you'd better be coming right up to today. Right. And you need to also talk about the future. You need to say mm-hmm. the trajectory we are on is not good enough. Right. You need to say innovation is happening, but not fast enough. Yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not, it's not fast they, enough. They don't, exactly. they don't even attempt to do any of Which that. Which is fair. Like that would be fair. Like of to course. be like, we demand faster innovation. That we would be great. Demand investments from our government in renewable energy that really works. Like that, yeah, that, that would be fine. That would all be perfectly fine. And and so what I just want to give like one quick little story from my own time back in the climate movement when I worked for a nonprofit. This guy asking everyone about biomass when it is on no one's radar. It reminds me of when it, my job was, you know, in part answering the phones and there was this one dude who would call in. He called, you know, four or five times. And I would talk to him for 30 minutes because he was upset that our local climate change organization was in favor of an extension of the local metro line. Mm-hmm. And his argument was we should have more buses instead. Right. Like in the grand scheme of things, you have to understand we got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. Like, we, yeah, we're in favor of public transportation. We're in favor of people not driving. He says buses are better. There's a proposal for an extension of the uh, of the metro, and we say, yeah, that sounds good to us. Mm-hmm. And he would talk my ear off for hours cumulatively right, right. over over many phone calls because this was his personal pet peeve, mm-hmm. like. That is what this documentarian is doing. But when right. you're in charge of the documentary, you get to make it look like your issue is a giant issue right. and everyone else is ignoring it. Exactly. When and and then you can lead that right into are they hiding something? Mm-hmm. Are they just ignorant? Ooh. Are they evil? Maybe? Maybe I'm just asking questions. Just asking questions here. And and that's no, that's another really good point is that documentaries as a format, as a medium, are not for we're just asking a lot of questions. Like documentaries, documenting <laughs> is about f- exposing, finding answers, finding truth. They do none of that. They cherry pick some crap and then they don't give any actual answers or like discover anything that we didn't already know before and that isn't already out of date. Like they do none of the things that documentaries are meant to do. And so it's, it's an abuse of the medium, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to move on to their terrible graphs. They have laughable, ridiculous, terrible, nonsensical oh, graphs God. that they use. Just, my head explode. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so you know, we're an audio medium. Unfortunately, we can't do them justice. I'm going to just explain one of them to you because yeah. it gives you a sense of their laziness. That was another theme that came out mm-hmm. in all of the uh, response articles is that this documentary is so lazy. It oh, is yeah. so, it is bad because it's lazy. And then it's, it looks really manipulative, even if that wasn't their intention. The laziness looks manipulative. Yeah. So, so they use this one graph, a pie chart. And here are the two things they were trying to compare in the pie chart. The, the whole pie is the total energy consumption of the world. And the sliver of the pie chart that they point to is the battery capacity 
at in, you know industrial scale, going back to this conversation that we were having earlier about the problem of intermittency and could we use batteries to cover that instead of fossil fuel plants. And they, so you have to understand how ridiculous it is to have a pie chart, the total of which is energy consumption over a year, and a sliver of which is battery capacity. Mm-hmm. Like those two don't, yeah, they don't, go together. They don't connect. So to simplify into something that we all understand, if you were to make a pie chart of the energy consumption of my cell phone, that would be the, the whole pie. And then you make a sliver of it of the battery capacity of my cell phone, <laughs> you'd have 365 days of consumption and one day of capacity. Mm-hmm. And you'd say like, this is ridiculous. This battery can't possibly be used to, to power the, the total usage. Like, no, it does not make does sense. Does not compute. And, and they do this over and over again. They merge two things that do not make sense together to the point where you're just like, I'm sorry, what? Did you just change mid-graph what you're showing on the graph? And they did. They literally did that. There was another example where you're looking at one thing and then all of a sudden the line starts shooting up on this graph and you're like, but you're not talking about the same thing you right. just told us you, this graph was displaying. Right. You, you, <laughs> I'm so you, confused. You changed the definition of the graph of the line. so that yeah. the line could keep growing to mean something different. Oh, it's God. like mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. <laughs> it really is. And, and, and just to clarify, the, my cell phone analogy, it's the best I can come up with, but that is not even a good analogy because my cell phone actually does use battery power the whole time I'm using right, it. Right. Like it's, it's very rarely plugged in. Renewable energy production and consumption is mostly done in the moment. Yeah, constant. The, 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 the moment, moment an electron is generated by a wind, uh, by a windmill, it is also consumed mm-hmm. in that moment by a house light bulb somewhere. The battery is just to help smooth out the bumps. Mm-hmm. So the cell phone is it, like that's not even a good example. So you would need even less capacity compared to total consumption than you would for a cell phone. Mm -hmm. It's bad and terrible and lazy and stupid in every way I can conceive of. Yep. Next up, silly anecdotes. Mm, Those are fun. They have some great silly anecdotes that, like, this is why people started saying this is just propaganda. This is as dumb as a right-wing propagandist would do. That's like not even trying to be smart in any way. So here's just our favorite. They caught wind of a story. They're like going through this series of, oh, renewable energy doesn't work. It's dumb. And one of the examples is they they caught wind of a zoo that had the idea to use elephant excrement, burn it for energy to help power the zoo. And they were considering this, mind they, you. That was the they headline. Were, they, they, were they were just considering it. They were considering it. And the the... Result is, uh, elephants don't shit enough. Right. We can't use it to power the zoo. So a bad idea not executed is used as renewable energy doesn't work. <laughs> and it's so fast, too. You're, like, talking about something else. Suddenly it's like, this zoo wants to run on elephant shit. And they, like, I think it's all of 30 seconds. You get this, like, headline shot, screenshot, and then you get an interview with the guy saying, Elephants don't poop enough. And like, that's it. And that's supposed to be saying so much yeah, <laughs> somehow. I, I, don't, I don't know what we're supposed to learn from that. Oh, uh, God. N- next up is it's one of the like genuinely like, I don't know if it's lazy. I don't know if it's stupid. I don't know if it's deceitful. But again, people are saying it's propaganda because 
they are at this level yeah. of laziness that it, it becomes propaganda. So they, they went to this little town in the middle of nowhere that has a solar farm outside of town. They talked to the mayor and they went out to the solar farm that had been there since the 80s. Yeah. And when they get there, they discovered that the solar panels have been dismantled. Mm-hmm. And they had this really dramatic, oh, sad yeah. the scene. The music there. builds. It's- so they, they discuss how we, they, what he says is, and then I realized where we were. We were in a solar dead zone. <laughs> and, and so just at face value, just at face value, you'd be like, okay, so that solar plant failed, I guess. Right. I mean, like, it's a small town. The mayor of the town said like all sorts of industries come and go. Yeah. Like, like it doesn't it, stick. It's like one of those little towns. Right. So like one solar facility failing doesn't really mean anything for the industry right. unless you add it to statistics. So, you know, uh, anecdote is not singular right. of data. Right. So the reason why this is unbelievably deceitful to the point of propaganda, it wasn't a solar dead zone. The company didn't fail. They were in the middle of refurbishing. They took down their old, less efficient. That had been around for decades. <laughs> worse for the environment solar panels. And we're in the middle of upgrading, replacing. To more efficient. To more efficient, more clean Solar panels. You can look on Google, uh, you know, Earth uh, Maps right now mm-hmm. and see where he went and see that it's covered in solar panels. Yeah. So, <laughs> and ha- they didn't bother to ask anyone. And like, it seems like they didn't even ask the mayor, this woman who's, you know, it's again, it's a really small town. So, like, the mayor's just a local person who lives there and like, it's not a super fancy title. And she was not even asked about like, the future of this or like what's happening. Like when you think back on it, she actually was just telling the story of her town. Like industries come and go here. This came in and you know, and I don't know what happened. I to don't it. know what happened she, to it. She had no answer. And they didn't think like, let's get in touch with the company and, and, and see is, what happens. This is, this is consistent through the whole thing. Right. So they show these protesters in Vermont protesting a wind farm that's coming in and they're like comparing it to mountaintop removal. It's really crazy. But anyway, um, the point is they don't, go and talk to the company. They don't talk to any like local politicians who approved it. They don't they don't do in, any environmentalists who environmentalists are in favor, who of in favor of it. They literally don't do any work. They just go talk to some people who on who a surface level, oh yeah, agree with them and only know about this stuff on a surface level. And so it's yeah, the laziness is pervasive and it it really makes them look bad it makes them look like they're trying to do something nefarious yeah and 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 you you mentioned mountaintop removal i have been to mountaintop removal sites you can look at satellite images of mountaintop removal and comparing as they do in the film building wind farms on mountain ridges as being basically equivalent to mountaintop removal is so offensive like it's it's not wrong it is wrong and offensive yeah. to the people who live in the disaster zones right. that are mountaintop removal zones. They've literally exploded the mountain. That is very different they, than clearing a stretch of land. <laughs> they, they they clear off the top of the mountain. The mountains flow down into the stream beds. I have talked with people and interviewed people in small towns who know the person who was killed mm-hmm. because a mountaintop removal project loosened a boulder that rolled down the hill into a person's house and killed them while they were sleeping. Oh my God. That is what mountaintop removal right. looks like, feels like, acts like. Yeah. And what you end up with is a moonscape of a flattened mountain. Mm-hmm. 
a wind farm on a mountain ridge looks like a incredibly skinny strip of an access road Mm -hmm. that goes along the very top of a mountain surrounded by trees. To compare them is repulsive. Yeah. And then here's just the, the last one. It's it's sort of a it's an outlier in this comparison, but they they were um, doing again what I wish they had done more of. Talk about greenwashing. Talk about corporations weaseling their way into the green movement. Um, they talk about banks. Great. They talk about you know the, those sorts of companies trying to make themselves look green. I hate that. I want that exposed. Yeah. That's another area where they were kind of doing a good job. And then they did this super <laughs> <Yeah>. bizarre. <laughs> comparison because like you know you could say uh like Citibank uh, funded this green march but they also fund terrible things like that's a great perfect example right. of what so you I should think do it was a concert just to be clear yeah right mm-hmm. I, an event yeah. and then they get to caterpillar the company that makes uh yeah, like bull- bulldozers you know earth movers that sort of thing stuff, yeah. and what they cut to is the DAPL protest, Dakota mm-hmm. Access Pipeline protesters being pepper sprayed, being pepper sprayed and attacked. And in the background are Caterpillar machines because they are being used by the Dakota Access company to make the pipeline. Yeah. Like, it's not like Caterpillar sponsored the Dakota Access Pipeline. Yeah. I, like, they just rented their equipment. And, like, look, you can make all sorts of greenwashing comments in in many many cases but that is a strange like like it's like you miss the forest with trees there's all these examples of greenwashing that you could totally use and that's what you chose to do yeah like Like we we have no love for caterpillar i have no idea i mean they're they're a company that makes earth movers i have no doubt that they are a conservative company donates to republic like i've if you tell me anything bad about caterpillar i'll probably believe it (laughs) but to say, but that's but, not but, but, but to, to say like Caterpillar is terrible because their machines were used by right. another company to do a project you don't like is is yeah. like it's a disconnect that their machines are probably used to build like renewable energy. Farms of course as they well. are. Of course they are. <laughs> like it's just they're used to do all the, the good things. Of capitalism, every good thing you've ever seen built was probably built with a Caterpillar machine if it was in the United States because right. that's pretty much what we use. Okay, moving on completely to another criticism. There were literally almost no people of color mentioned in this movie, and there were very few women. And the fact that they talk so much about overpopulation, and they don't want to talk about population control, but they leave you with the undeniable thought that that is what they want. The only people solution. To, that it is the only solution, and it's what we need to focus on. They talk zero to women or about women about how to deal with population mm-hmm. in any way or climate justice or anything Cl- climate like justice reproductive justice like mm-hmm. literally doesn't come up mm-hmm. it it seems to be the thing that they want to focus on the most as a solution it doesn't come up in the movie at all mm-hmm. Here, here's a quick uh, clip from transport evolved who did again Another big debunking of many aspects of the movie, but they they focus on this as well. A film that seems to suggest burning fossil fuels is better than new clean renewable energy. A film which uses old data to back up its claims, but which fails completely to examine the peer-reviewed science that shows quite clearly how much better contemporary renewable energy technology is to fossil fuel industry solutions. 
It's a film which implies solar panels and wind turbines are expensive and inefficient with limited lifespans, but again uses first-generation technologies to exemplify that, not look at low-cost current-generation technologies with far longer lifespans and dramatically reduced manufacturing carbon footprints thanks to improved materials. And it's a film which, despite claiming to want to save the planet, seems only to rely on mainly middle-aged white people for input. There's minimal racial diversity in the, in the video and only a passing attempt at racial diversity in terms of interviewees or experts. Given that the climate crisis that we face will impact those in disadvantaged communities around the world and those communities are often composed of native peoples or people of colour, the video was, frankly, white. And then there's the conclusion that the planet is doomed and that we're doomed and that green technologies are evil and capitalist green industrialism will only hasten our demise. But there's no alternative given, only an allusion to the real challenge, one of overpopulation. There's absolutely no discussion on the huge swathes of world where the women are denied decent education. Education is categorically shown to positively reduce birth rates since educated women who can make educated choices are less likely to be treated like baby factories. There's zero discussion of healthcare disparities around the world. And there's no discussion of the big, massive elephant in the room for Moore and Gibbs. Two white, middle-aged, middle-class guys living in a country where there are active, concerted efforts being made by other white, middle-aged, middle-class guys to curtail proactive family planning and pro-choice programs, essentially forcing women to have babies. No, instead, Tesla, the electric vehicle world, the solar industry, in fact, the entire green movement is tainted and attacked. If they really wanted to make an impact, this film would have been about equality and education, equal rights and energy production for all, sustainable food programs. No, did I mention the education bit? Yeah, I'm mad. Technology isn't the cure to all evils, but it's certainly not the demon that's being portrayed in this film. Absolutely. So that there's almost no one depicted in the movie who is not incredibly similar to the filmmaker. Uh, pretty much no one says anything the filmmaker disagrees with, except in, in the way we described before as like, Actually, I don't have an answer for you right now that they can then use to stoke conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. And I, I just feel like um, if the whole premise of their film, which, as as we've been saying, as, as that clip said, the inevitable conclusion you come to is population control. Right. But they claim that's not what they mean. So, again, because they almost don't say it like, I mean, it's really oh, yeah. they walk that line. They really leave things open enough that they could claim that, oh, that's not what we're, we're advocating. For. Right. So, again, I would argue that's another failure of the documentary right. that everyone comes away with the conclusion that you didn't intend. Yep. OK, well, yep. then how good of a documentarian are you? Exactly. So so they they present you with this. We need to reduce uh, our consumption and our population. Okay, that so that that's what we all uh, conclude. And I just think, who are the people who you could have talked to who are, first of all, at the forefront of the climate movement and have been saying for decades or hundreds of years that humans need to have a different relationship with the planet? Mm -hmm. There are no Native people depicted in this film. No, no. Maybe the woman arguably who was against biomass 
and and she, she was Indian she, or she, she was she was a, a Pakistani. She's a woman of color from the region of India or Pakistan. But they, I mean, the fact that they show a clip of the Dapple protest. Yeah, no, this this really takes right? me off. Like they they use the the only time they talk about the protesters at Dakota Access, which is more of a relatively more of a modern part of the movement. But even that now was a few years ago. Um, that they use that footage of people being pepper sprayed, attacked by dogs, etc., to make the false point that caterpillar is evil because they were there or their machines were there during that protest instead of going and talking to the people who were on the front lines of that protest and who actually changed things who actually made things better who fought in courts who fought on the grounds like the it, I would find it insulting <laughs> that that's the only time like they use that footage almost as like cred like oh we know about Dakota Access Pipeline you know like we know that all those people were attacked and abused but that the only time they use it is to make an incorrect false misleading point about uh, something point else. about something else and like it's a God. it's a bizarro world tokenism yeah yeah and mm-hmm. is gross and mm-hmm. and the fact that it never occurred to them to go speak to anyone who was involved with that is yeah just again it's just lazy pivoting once more we there's so much there's so so much much. (laughs) so um toward the beginning michael moore was arguing against other climate activists like josh fox and michael mann the scientist the famous hockey stick graph guy who's had his hair on fire about climate change for more than a decade He, he michael moore argues against these people because of what he believes the, this movie will result in mm-hmm. the the scientists and the activists, the people actually in the movement say this is a terrible movie. Yeah. It's going to be destructive to the movement. Yeah. But Michael Moore, Gibbs, the director, and the other guy who doesn't understand science and wrote a whole book about <laughs> how renewable energy doesn't work, New York Yankee Six. Right. Those three dudes think they know more than the entire movement and all the scientists and engineers combined in the movement. And say, no, 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 we're right. We're going to inspire the left. We're the truth tellers. We're going to help defeat not only the fossil fuel industry, but also uh, wake everyone up to everything else. And it's not going to be depressing at all. It's not going to tamp down or deflate the movement at all. So let's see what's actually happening. Bill McKibben wrote uh, an article in Rolling Stone. I absolutely recommend you go read the whole thing. It is fantastic. But we have just a quick quote on the idea of who benefits. Yeah, and and just to give you the title, I mean, Bill McKibben calls this a bomb going off in the climate movement, okay? I mean, that is is strong language. So uh, within the article, he talks about how like, yes, the uh, things that we were talking about today, that the climate m- movement has shifted over time on issues. They, they have evolved on issues as the science has become more clear and more has been done. Um, and that is thanks to activists who have pushed the movement forward. There are people who have been at the front lines of changing the way everyone thinks about things like biomass. I mean, he says that. He says, thank thank God for these people who who, like, led the way on changing our minds about biomass. And like now we have a totally different outlook on the whole thing. And so he's just giving examples of of how the movement has changed. And he says, quote, 
You can, in other words, change the zeitgeist if you get enough people engaged, if they both see the crisis and feel like they have a way in. But that's precisely what's undercut when people operate as Moore has with his film. The entirely predictable effect is to build cynicism, indeed a kind of nihilism. It's to drive down turnout, not just in elections, but in citizenship generally. If you tell a bunch of lies about groups and leaders, and as a result, people don't trust them, who benefits? Who benefits indeed? And just anecdotally, some of these articles that I was reading were pulling Twitter posts that people were posting ju- after having seen this uh, this movie, and they were clearly left-leaning people who have respect for Michael Moore and are very committed to uh, fighting climate change. One person wrote, I just finished putting solar panels on my roof, mm-hmm. and now I feel like an idiot for being excited about turning them on. Yeah. Thanks, Michael Moore, for waking me up to oh, yeah. like how all of this is meaningless. Yeah. And I mean, Bill McKibben quotes some of the letters that he received. And these are people within our movement, okay? People who have been turned off, who are screaming and yelling at Bill McKibben for being a snake oil salesman of some sort. And Bill McKibben actually says he like takes time to respond to every single one of these messages. And he's definitely had more than a few situations where he's responded saying like, I really hope you'll read this article I wrote, you know, five, 10 years ago on like why we're not excited about biomass. And, uh, and they'll write back like, you're a lying sack of shit. I'm never going to trust you again. Like, it, that's done. It's done. You're never going to get those people back. Yeah. And just to drive this point home, I've got another couple of clips that include quotes. Uh, this one is uh, the third clip from Now You Know, who did the whole debunking video uh, wrapping up this point. As Emily Atkins said, who's a longtime climate uh, journalist, she said, climate change is a very difficult subject to cover due in large part to the sophisticated 40 year disinformation campaign around the subject perpetuated and funded by the multi-trillion dollar fossil fuel industry and its powerful political allies. But that doesn't change the fact that harmful inaccuracies have been consumed by many people. And then the the real scary thing for me is like Jesse just said, this documentary is going to leave certain people who don't know much about what is going on with the feeling that they have been right all along about coal and hippie and environmentalists and all this stuff. And so this article in the Dixon Press by author Rob Port says, the conclusion Gibbs reaches is that while things like solar and wind and biomass may work fine in small scale instances, they don't scale well. They certainly aren't capable of replacing baseload energy generation like coal or nuclear power. This is essential information for us here in North Dakota, where wind turbines dot our landscape and a massive lobbying effort is afoot to build even more, not to mention the thousands and thousands of miles of new transmission lines to serve those turbines. The bankers and investors and utility company bigwigs and political activists assure us these wind turbines are our future, that they can replace coal in our part of the world without impacting our quality of life in any meaningful way. This, my friends, is bunk, a bill of goods sold by people seeking short-term profit at the expense of long-term sustainability. As the guy in the film says, we'd be better off with cheap, reliable, plentiful coal. So thanks a lot, Mr. Gibbs. You made a movie and this is what happened. You didn't accomplish what you wanted. You accomplished exactly, I think, the opposite of what you wanted. People are going to keep consuming. They're going to keep using energy. But now they're thinking, hey, the whole thing about wind and solar was a lie. So let's go back to burning coal. 
And I have one more clip for you, but just another uh, reference that I heard over and over is that uh, which media organization came to Michael Moore's defense <laughs> when the left started attacking him? Breitbart. Of course. Breitbart loves this documentary because it plays directly into their, like, frankly, fascist, genocidal wet dreams, mm -hmm. saying, first of all, everything the climate movement has said is fake. And second of all, the only option is for millions of people to die. Let's say, I don't know, naturally, or maybe we just pick and choose which right. are the, the best people who should continue to live and which are a real drag on society. So Breitbart is, is coming to the defense of this movie. And when you search for this movie on YouTube, besides the movie itself, a lot of the clips that come up are from Sky News Australia. Mm. For people who aren't familiar, this is another Murdoch-owned property, basically the Fox News of Australia. And they love this movie. Michael Moore is under furious attack from the left for a new film that was released free on the internet this week. Moore is the executive producer. It's called Planet of the Humans. This time, the target is the renewable energy scam, even though Moore says that he and the film director, Jeff Gibbs, have been greenies forever. We've, we've been environmentalists our, our entire lives. But now... Well, there are things in this film, actually, that I don't agree with. I don't agree that the planet is in worse shape than ever. This is where the filmmakers let their green credentials run away with them. It's not. You know, overpopulation, blah, blah, blah. We've heard all that. Look, in the West, at least, the air in most big cities is cleaner. You can see it for yourself. Rivers are less polluted. We are much more careful than we used to be. And, in fact, NASA satellite measurements show that the planet has actually got greener over the past 35 years. Isn't that worth celebrating? But more, and particularly director Jeff Gibbs, do make some great points about a scam that too many journalists have refused to question. And that is why their film has come as such a shock to so many and why green groups are now actually trying to get Planet of the Humans banned. Isn't that a sign of the times? If you don't like the message, just try to ban well, just in case they succeed, I want to show you maybe five minutes from the film. Great stuff. I think you'll love it. And I urge you to see the rest on the internet while it's still up there. It goes for an hour and 40 minutes, not a minute wasted. And it's had three million views already. Let me be judged by my friends and enemies, mm -hmm. for sure. And and I just, just a, a note on uh, the claim he makes that people on the left or environmentalists wanted this film to be banned. Unfortunately, we sort of fell into this easily made trap. Nobody ever said that the film should be banned. Josh Fox and others signed onto a letter saying that the film should be retracted mm -hmm. as in a journalistic pile of shit right. that should be retracted because it is fake and incorrect on every level. That is in no way similar to banning but, of course, the right was able to run with that and say, oh, they're asking for a retraction, but we're not going to call it that. We're going to call it they're asking for it to be banned. I mean, at the very least, like, it should never be distributed. Like, I mean, YouTube's bad enough. Look, there's going to be millions of millions. There already are tens of millions of views, I think, by now. Mm -hmm. And the damage is done. <laughs> but uh, no distributor in their right mind should be peddling propaganda, which is basically what it amounts to, even if that wasn't the intention. Yeah. 
So those are the friends they're making. Bill McKibben alluded to the damage being done to the movement. And now I have a couple of clips from the Michael Brooks show in which they talk in a lot more detail and nuance about the impact on the movement and movement building that this film is having. This is a really frustrating moment. <laughs> this, the, the drama surrounding this movie. So um, I, I, I've seen clips, I've seen interviews with the filmmakers, um, but what I want to comment more directly on is the, the consequence it's having within movements. Yeah. Um, because um, as you said, the science in it isn't sound. And so if you want, I can uh, send you a link to put in the show notes of 24 different debunkings from different climate scientists about like basically point for point in the film. Um, but I think it's really important to have robust debates in social movements. The wildfire project is part of our, our work is to support generative conflict around principled debates. And when I heard that Michael Moore was going to do a movie that like, you know, went after some of the baseline assumptions within the environmental movement, I was excited about the idea of, of a really generative debate. This is not that. This is not, uh, the, the premises of this are not useful. And the consequence within organizations uh, that I've been seeing is that it really muddies the water. It confuses people about the role of the fossil fuel industry. And the thing that was is so frustrating to me is that when you critique a movement, you have to be specific. I, I've been doing work on climate change for 20 years. And I've been an outspoken critic of what you could call like the mainstream environmental movement, like the, the stream that's come out of, um, you know, the conservation era. Um, and the thing that was so frustrating to me when I was watching these interviews that, that Michael Moore and the team did was that they were just completely out of touch with the entire history of the climate justice movement, the environmental justice movement, indigenous sovereignty movements who have been grappling with, some of the core uh, themes in here about the nature of extractive economies, what it means to be an anti-capitalist in this context, the limits of technology, uh, including renewable energy in depthful ways that don't lead people to some nihilistic embrace of like a depopulation argument. And, you know, I was, <laughs> if you'll permit my, me to rant for a second, like I was watching one of the guys who made the film say, well, you know, I always say that you can't have infinite growth on a finite planet and positioning that statement like it was like his unique insight rather than like a cliche of the movement that we've all been repeating for 20 years. And it positions um, their analysis for people who are, uh, many of whom in the audience beginning to question um, capitalism at its foundation, it positions their argument as the anti-capitalist argument. And it's just, it's just not. Um, and I do want to just speak to some of the disingenuous attacks on people that I've worked with for a long time. And just to situate where I'm coming from with this is, you know, I've worked with Naomi Klein for a long time. She's on the wildfire project board. Um, and uh, she was one of the people who is, has come out uh, critiquing this movie. And Bill McKibben, who is one of the main people smeared in the movie, um, I've worked with for 15 years. Um, and the way that I've seen people, again, I'm responding to the discourse that's emerged from the movie. I'm more interested in the impact it's having on movements. And the way that I've seen people respond to it is 
by basically demonizing figures like Bill, um, we lose our ability to see movement figures as in evolution, right? So what the movie does is it takes some quotes out of context from many years ago. And Bill's story is amazing. I mean, he's a personal friend of mine, but he was like, you know, an, an aging boomer who was, you know, a New Yorker author who let a movement radicalize him. And his trajectory over that period is amazing. And I've been with him through when when we um, built out the fight against the Keystone XL pipeline, which was the first major civil society campaign against the Obama administration, um, divestment movements, solidarity around pipeline infrastructure, fights at the United Nations all around the world where there, there's a global movement that was fighting the market mechanisms in the agreements that, that became um, the Paris Accords. And um, so what I'm saying is that there's real frameworks that, that the, the critiques in the movie that seem redeeming, that seem valuable, that seem useful, there's versions of them in movements that actually are, are actionable because building a social movement is really hard and <laughs> you need to give people an organizing logic that's empowering. And um, that's why, you know, so part of what I, I was um, seeing as a consequence, this film and the critique on clean energy, we've had in our movement for a long time, the critique that of course a solar panel that is built in a sweatshop in China and then shipped halfway around the world and then installed on like a rich person's house in Berkeley by a low wage worker who doesn't have any agency in their job. That's not a green job. <laughs> that's why the framework of just transition emerged and that it is actually a, a complex um, useful, ideologically grounded framework that comes from a group called Movement Generation. I think that does a decent job of, of summing up what is so wrong with this film in so many ways yeah. is that they uh, do a bad job of talking about something that is already being talked about elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And they present it as if it's brand new, maybe because it's new <laughs> to them. Yeah. And then they fumble it. Mm -hmm. So they try to talk about capitalism a little bit, but they put Al Gore and Bill McKibben in the same camp and say yeah, that they're both terrible. That's wild. I cannot believe they that, did that. They're they're not in the same league. No. Al Gore no. is a deeply neoliberal centered politician, multimillionaire businessman who's all about the financialization of clean energy and, and friends with Wall Street, etc. And and you know, an inconvenient truth was deeply problematic in that, and I didn't know this when I first saw it, but I came to learn it right. and I because evolved, you've evolved like the movement. <laughs> I evolved with the movement to realize this movie came out and it told everyone to change their light bulbs. Right. It didn't mention anything about <laughs> yeah. voting for someone in Congress who might do something right. about climate change. It right. told you to change your light bulbs. It was the individualist aspect of climate change. Which that, is That's what kicked us all off. So good on him. But like, it was not the right message to come away with. We, we were put on the wrong path from the very beginning, predating Al mm -hmm. Gore. And he mm -hmm. stepped into that role and continued us down that path. Right. Bill McKibben, in his article responding to the movie, says that he kicks himself sometimes because it took him so long to realize that we needed to build political power. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is that he said, I thought that we were in a debate and it took me a long time to figure out that we were in a fight. Yeah, that was an excellent 
line. Yeah. And, and so he, he figured out uh, at about 2007, yeah. when I happened to be working at right. the Chesapeake Climate Action Network, he founded the Step It Up organization. Mm-hmm. I attended the very first event they ever did in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., and that evolved into 350.org. Right. Because Step It Up happened before the number 350 was known. Right. That science hadn't been done. Yeah, they hadn't done the math yet in that way. And And so, like, that is when the realization was become was forming mm-hmm. that we need to build political power yeah. we don't need to convince people that climate change is real because we had already won that battle we realize the fossil fuel company isn't debating us they're fighting us and we have to fight back yep. and these I, are all things that the movie could have done a good job examining yeah. and we're talking about bill mckibben like let me just put really starkly the comparison here you have Al Gore, friend of Wall Street, neoliberal mindset Al Gore. Then you have Bill McKibben, the father of the divestment movement. Okay? Like, these are not the same. They're not even close. <laughs> and the other thing that they leave out here that's really fundamental is um, is the context for how these problems have had, you know, because it's not like there aren't any issues here. There is greenwashing. There is a, you know, mainstream takeover of the environmental movement that's not helpful. Um, but it, the film acts as though any problems with the environmental movement just like were happening on their own with no greater forces involved. And so there's this article in Common Dreams that talks about the film. And I thought this was a good summary. They said, quote, even though humans, you know, planet of the humans, derides capitalism, Moore and Gibbs fail to mention the long-standing capitalist capture of our government and economy, as though the climate temporizing and insufficient technological reach of early renewable energy and environmentalists occurred in a vacuum. And I think that's just really important to note. There are tons of forces at work. What Bill McKibben calls a fight, I mean, he's not kidding. Like, you have, we have to absolutely fight every massive, massive force that is working against us. And the fact that that wasn't talked about at all is a huge problem. I mean, they didn't even talk about money in politics. It was nuts. Not at all. And so uh, we're getting close to wrapping up, but I, I want to give the producers one more opportunity to defend themselves. They've been asked, you know, uh, again and again to to defend their use of outdated science. This clip is even better than the last one. So the first defense that we heard earlier in the show when he said, oh, but I don't know, we talked to a lot of experts who made sure that we were right not at all addressing that if they had ever been right, they were completely outdated now. That was on April 28th that they said that, or at least the clip came out on April 28th. This is from May 5th. They were asked the same question again. I got this from a live stream conversation that they had on the Extinction Rebellion uh, YouTube page and with that organization's founder and leader, and I thought, like, this is great. Mm-hmm. These guys are talking to the exact people they should be talking to right. <laughs> and should have been talking to oh, all sorry. along yeah. because Extinction Rebellion is actually on the forefront of the modern movement, not talking about whatever happened five or ten years ago. Right. And so uh, Claire Farrell, the head of Extinction Rebellion, or the founder of it, uh, is is bringing in questions from her community mm-hmm. for this live stream with Michael Moore, Gibbs, and the other uh, guy who wrote a book and helped produce the movie. And I, I just think this is great. Hey, 
Absolutely. I spoke to several people from our movement and uh, and some of these questions are from people globally, but I actually had one person in the UK who's um, campaigned a lot on energy stuff and um, they wanted to ask you guys uh, why you didn't focus on like the the things that are happening with green energy now that are improving efficiency and why you'd sort of cited some of those old solar sites and things like that uh, when there was like more up-to-date, more up-to-date green renewable energy uh, sources that you that you could have studied for some information to present so I think for me that's one of the main one of the main criticisms that I've heard in the in the movement is you know yeah that's I actually see. an interesting criticism yeah. it's not something that we really foresaw the the film takes place over uh, more than a decade and it's a historical look and so so much of what happens in the film happens in history and then it comes up to the present day um, one thing that's that's interesting to note about that is it really doesn't matter, um, you know, if efficiencies of solar cells have changed over that period or there's been incremental improvements. The fundamental issue is that we're facing a huge uh, potential breakdown of the living world, and we're attempting to address that with another layer of technological solutions that require mining, uh, fossil fuels, uh, all of the the dangerous uh, and and, and life threatening uh, issues that we face now, we're just going to be trying to shift over to another set uh, of 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 challenges. And so, what the film says, on the underlying message of this film, is that we need to we need to shift out of that story. Uh, and so, uh, that's why. Well, actually, one of the things it doesn't matter what science we would have put in the film; it doesn't really matter. Uh, how recent it would have been, the underlying story would have still been the same. So again, I just want to interject to say that that is amazing. Uh, and and to, to be fair, it was two different people answering, but it, it's the same team of producers in, in both of these discussions. Over the course of you know seven days, they went from defending the science and saying, no, we talked to experts and we're sure it's right, to actually the science doesn't matter. Yeah. And Whatever we mentioned, however old it is, it doesn't matter because that's not the point. Yeah. And then to, you know, wax poetic, um, you know, about the very real problems with mining and how damaging it is, like, that's fine. But your movie did not, like, that was not what it was about. <laughs> if that, again, if that was your intention, you failed. Do a documentary on mining and all of its catastrophic, catastrophic consequences. Like, that would be good to have that. And we need to talk about those issues as part of climate justice. But they are just so unaware of what is happening in the current movement that they, they're they just incapable of doing this. And, and when they talk about it, they kind of act like, oh, yeah, we know what's going on. But that you're you're making the case as though that was what your movie showed. It didn't. It showed, yeah, it showed mining has problems. But like you didn't make the point you hoped to make, not even close. And by doing it badly, you distract from the point you're right. trying to make. If they had actually done good science, talked about modern efficiency levels and modern renewables, and then said, as much progress as we've made, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. That is a message that could have been embraced. Right. But to do a hatchet job, which is clear propaganda and anti-science, well, you're going to lose the entire audience that you're trying to reach. Mm -hmm. And you're going to embolden the deniers who 
are are going to love to jump on yeah. any anti-science that they can to try to bolster their point, which is what has clearly happened. Yeah, and Michael Moore has a huge platform, and he should have taken that seriously. Um, it's really disappointing. Okay, so they, they, they continue, and they're, they're going to start talking about the music festivals, the solar music festivals, and, yeah, the unfortunate reality of those. And so I think to have this kind of timeless look where we look, we start at a solar festival uh, 10 years ago and find out that the solar festival that happened 10 years later uh, is the same, the same problem, the same issue, the exact same thing is happening. Um, And we find that that, we track that illusion over time. Let me just explain so people who haven't seen the movie. The movie begins, it does begin 10 years ago, and and they, they build the solar festival as solar power was going to power the concert and everything. And, and Jeff just wandered backstage and out back and saw that it was being having to be powered by fossil fuels. Um, jump ahead to the 90 minutes later at the end of the film, uh, we're at Earth Day. Was it last year or the year before? Um, and in, I think, D.C., and they're claiming again that this is all being powered by uh, – you know, solar energy. And again, it just took a few minutes to prove that that wasn't true. And it's like, then you, if, if you have that happen for 10 years and Ozzy and Jeff, you can tell all the other times where you ran across this and your mind just gets blown because we're told one thing, but the reality is something else. So just to interject one more time, who thinks that music festivals possibly run poorly, possibly run by people who are ignorant of what's going on or are nefariously lying about the fact that they are run by solar when actually they're not? Who thinks that that is an adequate stand-in for industrial-level functionality of renewables mm-hmm. to say, we went to these two music festivals and they weren't run the way they said they were. And now, once you're told one thing and the, the truth is another, well, then literally everything could be a lie. And we'll, let's just scale that up to the scientists and engineers who are working at the industrial level. Like, that is the perfect gateway to conspiratorial thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's anecdotal, too. Like, it's it's another one of those tactics. <sighs> so, yeah, so th- those those festivals, like... Yeah, that's really unfortunate. It's pathetic. It's stupid. It is not necessarily indicative. And if you don't draw the connection, mm-hmm. I mean, they think they did. They think they drew the connection, but they use such terrible science that they actually didn't. Right. So again, they, they get to make the argument that no, 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 the science doesn't matter. We don't care about the science. It's just that our entire argument is based on debunking the science. Right. <laughs> what, what we're, their entire argument is the science isn't working. Therefore, we have to do something else. Mm-hmm. We have zero idea what that other thing is. Mm-hmm. All we can tell you is fossil fuels are bad. Renewables are bad. Humans are bad. There's nothing to do. We hope someone has an idea of a different way to live. Isn't that inspiring? <laughs> Continuing. And people are afraid to kind of question this because there's a almost a religious thing around 
all of our beliefs in the green movement. We're part of the green movement. So we've always been that. You guys, in some ways, Jeff, you were more than any of us uh, with with all of that and the solar panels and everything. But it... it, it um, yeah, it's kind of like a movie about things we're afraid to, to think about. And, you know, I was a... Uh young, you know, uh, you know, I wanted to see myself as a pioneer, you know, trying to live sustainably. So I moved to the woods and, um, I really didn't want to think about the first thing I had to do was cut down the trees, you know, to make my place in the woods. So I was, I being a friend of the woods or was I creating the story about myself? Um, you know, I had a wood stove and, you know, I didn't want to think about, well, where's the steel going to come from? You know, I'm this guy in the woods. So it's the same kind of question that we're asking now. It's, it's, um, you know, the one estimate that w- would take literally uh, over a billion tons of steel to try and build out enough green infrastructure to save ourselves. Steel is one of the main um, sources of climate pollution, mining disasters that have happened and, and all around the world and have really harmed indigenous people and, and killed entire, I think there was a mining disaster in Brazil that killed an entire river, you know, ecosystem. And, and this is what we're facing uh, with trying to keep this going through technology. So it's a kind of a hard turnaround to realize that the efficiency of solar panels doesn't matter because it's all uh, based on extraction. You, you have to have carbon to make steel. You have to have carbon to make cement. You have to have fossil fuels. And then if it did matter, and we had solar-powered fishing trawlers, solar-powered chainsaws, solar-powered bulldozers, solar-powered you know plows, plowing up more and more prairie, you know, we have to... I don't have the answer to this, but we need to find a different way to live. And when we find that different way to live, if we're using a bit of solar or a bit of whatever, you know, then that's a whole different story. But we haven't found the right, right way to live. And that might sound pie in the sky, but I think that's what your discussion's about. And, um, you know, that we have to discover what that is. And maybe you're right. We've got to look at the nationally, but maybe change happens at the local level. Maybe somebody's going to discover some ways of living um, and thinking about this that will spread around the globe. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, so that's why the movie doesn't focus. It's not a movie about the efficiency of solar panels. It's a movie that shows you in our journey of discovery, what it actually means to build this world of technology that we call green. So this is where we get to my subtitle of the film. What if we could live on Earth without using any electricity or any materials? I don't have any evidence that that's possible, but I'm going to state very confidently that that's what has to happen. Besides, we're just asking questions. Yeah. Like, it, it's very naive, honestly. He sounds he sounds so naive. He sounds like someone who just woke up to the fact that he's a human that has an impact on the planet. And he's like, oh my God, you guys, did you know that everything we use comes from the Earth? Did you know? Like, that's so bad. And like, yes, obviously, there's tons wrong with how we extract things and how unsustainable they are. And there, you could, you could go for days, uh, you know, talking about all of these issues and problems. But this idea of like, I'm a babe in the woods, I guess quite literally, he, he went to live in the woods and he just woke up to the fact that, oh my God, I use trees to build my house and steel to make my, my fireplace and, ah, oh, 
like, how can we live? Well, I'll just give you one example of how we have evolved. Okay. Bamboo is becoming a huge source of building materials because it's incredibly renewable. They're figuring out how to make cork in a way that is more renewable. There are materials that we are learning how to use now that are really good and sometimes better than what we had before. I don't expect that progress to stop, but I expect for us to have to fight for the innovation and have to fight for people looking for those things and making them better and having the processes to make them be better and more just. I mean, that is the reality. Like he just sounds really, really naive. And if you want to make an argument that transitioning to renewable energy isn't going to be enough because what we also need to do is reduce our consumption of electricity and other things and materials. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Right. That that would also be a great movie mm-hmm. that I would happily embrace. <laughs> and the entire climate movement would get on board with that. No one rejects the idea that we need to reduce our consumption at the same time as we wean ourselves from fossil fuel mm-hmm. and on onto renewables. But they they try to make one argument by trashing the other. Mm-hmm. They try to say the only way to save ourselves is reducing because there is no power other than extractive fossil fuel power because renewables also require mm-hmm. some degree. So, For fossil fuels to make right. them, right? Of, of course, fossil fuel plants also require mining and extraction in order to build them. The difference is then you burn fossil fuels in them for 50 years. Whereas a solar panel or a windmill, you build using fossil fuels because that's the infrastructure we have. Mm -hmm. Like, but the emissions are incredibly less like that. And that's another, it goes back to the point that they did not talk about emissions reduction at all. It reminds me of this argument. Like, let me know how this hits your ear. If a conservative listens to this podcast and says, Oh, I, I listened to you criticizing the mechanisms of capitalism, but you produced it on a computer made by a corporation. Aren't you a terrible hypocrite and all of your arguments are moot? Right. right. Like this, this is what we've been hearing from the right forever. Like you flew on a plane, you're a hypocrite, you're an asshole. Like you used an electric toothbrush, you're a, you know, villain like that's espousing. Yeah. Like you know. <laughs> we all live in the same cage. Yeah. Some of us are arguing that we should try to get out of it. Others are saying it's very comfortable in here. Right. We're all in the same cage. We're all in the fossil fuel infrastructure society. You can't build anything without using fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Maybe one day we'll build a new infrastructure, which is literally what we are advocating for. Mm -hmm. So to say... Because we, we don't have that right now, forget it. Right. If you have to use the current infrastructure to build a new one, then don't bother building a new one. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, I thought naive is a very good way to put it. No, they can, they continue. We didn't make this movie to have, we didn't, we weren't interested in a discussion about that solar panel or this solar panel, or just as we wouldn't have a discussion about the internal combustion engine of the automobile and how, well, that, that internal combustion engine is better than that internal combustion engine. You're having the wrong discussion if you're, if you're talking about that. And somebody wrote me about the film and, and he, and he said, uh, you know, that, that solar panels that you showed from when you started the movie 10 years ago, those were only 8% effective, he said. And now he goes, and I'm waiting, you know, okay, what, what are they today? And he says, they're 20% effective. And I'm like, oh, that's progress? I, I mean, I don't even want to have this discussion, but 20, it's 20%. Oh, so I'm supposed to feel better. 
if this computer that I'm on right now was was 80% not effective, would I even be using it? So we'll, we'll have that be the last of their self-defense because what you just heard Michael Moore say is literally the dumbest thing I have ever heard him say. <laughs> and it's dumber than a lot of things I've heard a lot of people say. If you don't know about solar panel efficiency, that doesn't make you a dumb person. It makes you ignorant on that subject, which is totally fine. You don't need to be an expert in solar engineering. Michael Moore just put his name on a documentary full of anti-science and misinformation, and then, while defending it, proves himself to be profoundly, earth-shatteringly ignorant on the topic of how solar panels work, how they're measured, anything like that. And the way they tell themselves that this is okay is that they say, yeah, the science doesn't really matter. We don't really care about the science. We're asking other questions. Yeah. What's important is how you feel. So let, let me just give you a quick rundown of, so he just described, you know, a person wrote in, said, you just mentioned solar panels that are 8%. Michael Moore says effective. There is 0% chance that the person who wrote in used the word effective. Right. He used the word efficient, that they are 8% efficient because that is the actual term. And then said, modern panels are 20% efficient. Mm -hmm. Michael Moore mocks that idea outright. What that tells me is that the efficiency of a solar panel has more than doubled in just 10 years. Yeah. When reading articles about this movie, I found that, of course, the scientists and engineers are still hard at work increasing that efficiency even further. Uh, a solar panel within the last month or so has broken the record yet again because the record gets broken all the time. The new record for efficiency is almost 50% at peak yeah. capacity. Well. Out in the field, it was able to hit like 40%. Mm -hmm. So again, what that tells me is it's doubled again yeah. within, within five years. Yeah, and they're more durable and last longer and... That whole lunacy about how these things are just crumbling after a few years is complete garbage. So if if you are not short-sighted, what you then see is exponential growth in efficiency mm -hmm. and exponential decrease in the cost mm -hmm. of solar panels. So, I mean, we're not super excited about, you know, market forces being the driving force behind trying to save the climate, but this is the world we live in, and these are the facts on the ground. The price of renewable energy is plummeting mm -hmm. at the same time as fossil fuels are becoming more expensive as they become harder to get, and the efficiency is continuing to go up for renewables, so you get more energy out of Every bit of investment. investment, manufacturing process, mineral mm -hmm. collection, all of it, you get more out of that. And so they they not only dismiss that as irrelevant, but demonstrate their profound ignorance about the whole concept, yeah. Yeah. saying that 20% efficient is ridiculously low. Yeah, like, it's uh, not effective, Michael. It's efficient. That's totally different. <laughs> again, New York Yankees 6. How efficient right. are coal-fired power plants? Right. Turns out right. about 40%. Yeah. So that means that solar panels have just surpassed the efficiency of coal-fired power plants. Keeping in mind, like, let's just do, like, a quick 
little uh, thought experiment about these two sources of energy. Coal, gas, all of that started out as sunlight, Mm -hmm. came to Earth, turned into organic material, Mm -hmm. was buried in the ground for millions of years, and was compacted and concentrated over those millions of years into a form that is extremely highly concentrated energy. Mm -hmm. And then you turn that into a car moving forward or electricity in a power plant at, at least for coal-fired power plants, 40% efficiency. A solar panel is taking fresh sun right now, Mm -hmm. hitting the earth today, and is getting 40% with the the new record-breaking solar panel can get 40% efficiency out of that. Yeah. So which is really more efficient? One takes millions of years and one happens right, right now in milliseconds. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I just can't help but think, you know, everyone is talking about the coronavirus and the need, the desperate need to pay attention to experts. Right. Michael Moore included. <laughs> yeah. And then uh. makes a movie full of nonsense and presents himself as a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Not knowledgeable in the least about any of this yeah. stuff, and they have not backed down or apologized or like said like anything remotely regarding like, hey, we may have not done everything perfectly. They're doubling down, if anything, which is really, really startling and concerning. So far, at least as I'm aware, the last major point I want to touch on that we really cannot gloss over is that when you are not an expert in something and you try to address a major issue like this and you fumble and bumble your way into it, uh, you're going to end up in some territory unknowingly, almost certainly, that you really don't want to be in. And where these guys have stumbled is into accidental eugenicists. Yeah. Like, they say that every solution we have is not valid and the only solution they see is population reduction. And their only defense is we're not in favor of population control. So they're literally not in favor of anything. Right. They're not in favor of... <laughs> we know u- nothing. We have no options, no ideas. They're not in favor of using any kind of energy or not using any energy, yeah. <laughs> using materials or not. We're not in favor of population control. All we're saying is that we need a lower population and we're just asking questions. We're just doomed and nothing can be done. And this is what happens when deeply mediocre white men stumble into a field like this, probably having no idea that this is a deeply old and racist minefield Mm -hmm. and calling and like not just calling for uh, implicitly calling for some form of population control, even if it's voluntary, has, you know, deep colonial yeah. uh, roots and it's, all of that. And so, like, I can give them the the biggest benefit of the doubt that they are the most anti-racist, progressive, egalitarian uh, people concerned about overpopulation in the world and that they think that population reduction in the United States is just as important, if not more important, than population reduction in in you know fast-growing third world countries like India and China. Look, they could be coming from that perspective, but just like not intending to be racist doesn't preclude you from advocating racist shit or laws that are intended to apply to everyone end up adversely impacting minority communities, 
more than the rest, that those are still racist laws, those are still racist policies, doesn't matter what your intention is. That is what calling for population reduction implicitly leads to. It empowers people who are excited about helping brown people around the world die off. I mean, it really is. And and so implicitly, accidentally calling for population control, it's bad anytime. But we are at a moment right now when we have the most racist president that we've had in a century amid a pandemic where the poor and the black and the brown are being hit the hardest and are dying at the greatest rates. And so, and releasing a movie with no answers other than we need fewer people is like basically the most offensive thing they could have come up with releasing. And, and just to reiterate, I said it earlier, focusing on overpopulation is not a solution to climate change. It is a major problem and a, and, uh, one of the sources of climate change contributes, but it's not the elephant in the room that everyone's, you know, these people are saying it is. And you can't turn it around. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to be genocidal, it is not the solution to fix our problem within 10 years. Right. It just isn't. So it can be a part of the conversation when you're looking at a time horizon of 100 years. Right. But for now, like it literally does not make sense to put energy there mm-hmm. because it will do nothing. Absolute zero yeah, impact within 10 or even 20 or maybe even 30 years, it'll have basically zero yeah. impact. And it, it is amazing that, they, that that's what they end up coming to as sort of a, you know, quote, unquote conclusion, because they their whole thing is we want to wake people up to how awful things are like right now. Like, so you'd think that they would go for the faster, more effective solutions instead of just like trying to literally chop the legs off of a movement that is actually gaining speed for the first time in a long time. Yeah. Well, they don't. They didn't have a Jamal working on their movie. That's right. No the, kidding, did the, they not? The, this is a callback to uh, this week in blackness. Always talked about how corporations always need to have a Jamal in in their office. And the 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 one example I remember most clearly was when Disney was trying to do some some like candy tie-ins for their Disney princesses, mm-hmm. and they were going to have the black Disney princess be watermelon flavored. And they obviously got some blowback for that. And Elon James White on this week in blackness was like. Yeah, like you, that's why you need a Jamal in your office because you can be like, hey, 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 boys, um, do you think that having the black Disney princess be flavored watermelon be okay? Oh yeah, no, that that sounds okay to me. I don't see any problem with that. Um, hey, hey, uh, Jamal, we got a question for you. <laughs> hey, Jamal, do you think it would be a good idea to have the black Disney princess be watermelon flavored? No, nah, man, no, nah, man, you can't do that. You can't have. <laughs> you, you're 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 going to be stepping in something you don't want to step in. Uh. And that's the benefit of having a Jamal right. in your office or on your documentary production team. These guys no. clearly did not. No, not at all. So finally, j- just to wrap up, um, there are a few reactions that we want to bring to your attention. Yeah. So, I mean, and we, we may have touched on it briefly before, but the, the whole thing here is that this movie focuses on the past. They like to say that they brought you up to the present, but they didn't. And it's very, very clear because... 
Guess who they don't mention? The Sunrise Movement, Extinction Rebellion, Bernie Sanders campaign, AOC talking about the Green New Deal and how that's now like a household phrase that we are all talking about and discussing. That is major, major progress. And it is a, it is a new kind of ramped up version of where Bill McKibben took us a long time ago and has brought us to. And he, he, Naomi Klein, and tons, hundreds and hundreds of, of activists across the globe who we don't know the names of have been part of this. And what Bill McKibben says in his article, which I really encourage everyone to read in Rolling Stone, is that he, I, I guess, with some wise words from his daughter, um, he was having a conversation with her about the future of the movement. And she said, Dad, you know, I think that it's probably better if you become a little less famous from now on. And he totally got that. He didn't push back on it. He like totally got it. He was like, absolutely, because this has never been about Bill McKibben. It's never been about Bill McKibben. He's He just wants a movement to exist. And so everything he does now in the last few years, like, yeah, he still writes pieces and stuff and books, but he is literally pushing forward the people, the local organizers who are making change. And so... I just wanted to maybe to end on some semblance of hope here, tell you the reaction from groups like Sunrise and Extinction Rebellion to this movie. So Sunrise Movement said, we have a lot of respect for Michael Moore. Unfortunately, the inaccuracies in his climate film do a disservice to his entire career and the hard work of the climate movement. Tell your friends, cousins, aunties, Planet of the Humans is bad, capital letters. (laughs) And then they link to a Vox article that talks all about the problems with the movie. But they also retweeted an interesting tweet from, which is the response to this movie from Michael Moore's former fact checker. And I think this is really important to read because she has deep insight into how Michael Moore has done his movies before and how it's different now this time. Her name is Joanne Durashow. She says, quote, I was not going to step into this mess, which many people have contacted me about over the last couple of weeks, but because of my anti-nuclear background and my familiarity with all that went down in Midland, this one particularly pained me. So I am breaking my silence. I was involved in the research and fact-checking process for various of Michael's films, TV, and book projects from the 1990s through 2007. During that period, Michael cared enough about the accuracy of his films that he complied when others told him he had to make changes to reflect facts and reality. I personally factually annotated some of these films and put entire fact-check Bibles on film websites. I dealt with studio lawyers doing fact and libel checks until they were satisfied. Believe me, by the time these projects saw the light of day, they were airtight. The director of this new film was someone we never let near the fact-checking process. In my experience, he seemed attracted to conspiracy theories and information that was not factual, and I believed in his, his influence on Michael could be damaging to his films. I cannot speak to what happened to Michael's films after I stopped helping to ensure their accuracy, but it is excruciating to see what has happened now, although it is not surprising. People disturbed by inaccuracies in this film are not, quote, haters. They are, like I, pained by them. The factual errors should never have happened. And that is from someone who has been with Michael Moore throughout his career. And uh, it it really, the the... <laughs> Her intuition that this guy, um, and I'm forgetting his name now, Je- uh, Gibbs, Jeff Gibbs. Who, who has been a Michael Moore producer, like they, they, I think he was involved with 
Bowling for Columbine mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. going way back as well. So, yeah. So, so he's th- got a tendency towards conspiracy theories, doesn't know how to identify factual information, which has just been made completely plainly clear in his debut film, which is an uh, atrocious mess. And so that was Michael Moore's former fact checker responding to the film. And I just also wanted to mention Extinction Rebellion's response. They basically just passed the mic over to George Monbiot, who some of you may be familiar with. He did a pretty in-depth Twitter thread on population growth, um, lots of graphs and details and data, and talked about a lot of the potholes that people fall into, um, you know, many of which Jay pointed out just a few minutes ago. And then he ends it with um, his piece in The Guardian called, How Did Michael Moore Become a Hero to Climate Deniers and the Far Right? And so... You know, Extinction Rebellion, Sunrise Movement, they are the movement. They are the young people getting involved with this. Fridays for Future, uh, what Greta Thunberg has worked on. This is the next stage. And this is what Bill McKibben had been hoping for when he started working on this so many years ago. And now we're we're at the next level. Um, This is a massive, massive movement. It is youth-driven. These groups are focusing on climate justice. They are focusing on people of color and the inequities in our system more than ever before in the climate movement. And that is positive. That is progress. And that is what will move us forward. And so to, to throw up our hands and act like nothing's good enough and we'll never get any better is absurd and um the major problem with this film yeah so uh, you know as as i said tell your friends tell your neighbors it is a bad film yeah and obviously the the debunking rarely goes as far as the initial bad uh bad journalism or propaganda but it's the only choice we have. It's yeah. the only option. So, And it what- takes time and energy to do this. I mean, it's much easier to make a shitty film and put it out on YouTube and get millions of views. <laughs> yeah. My, my hope is, so like, let's think about a recent parallel, the, the impeachment. Mm-hmm. There's a big debate. Do we impeach him on just one really small thing that we think we right. can focus on with a lot of detail? Or do we put literally every crime he's committed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I say... If we had put every crime he'd committed, it would have made a lot of people think, geez, well, I don't know the details on any of it, but there sure is a lot of smoke. <laughs> right. <laughs> so my hope is that if, even if you tell people, look, this is a bad movie, here are 25 articles right. debunking it, and here's a, here's a podcast – it's usually only an hour long, but this one's two hours long right. because that's how how much they had to say about how bad it was. Then even if people don't read a single article or listen to this show or anything else, they'll think like, man, sounds like a lot of people think that movie is bullshit. Right. <laughs> I guess I'm not just going to take it as fact. Yeah. And, and again, I think it's important to say it's not that there aren't a few little kernels of an essence of things that we should be paying attention Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is true because you know, everyone who, you know, watches it, but doesn't read any of the criticism is like, well, I don't know. There's that and that. And those things are true. Right. And I've, I've, al- I've already heard that. Right. I've heard people commenting saying like, well, I know nothing about science, but I am anti-capitalist. Right. And so right. that part appeals to yeah. me. And, and like, it right. appeals to us as well. But, exactly. but their, their argument for even what they're trying to say that is even somewhat remotely good is bad. So go somewhere else for that information. Like these people are not good sources for that kind of criticism. Yeah. One of the articles was 
it was like 25 documentaries to watch after or instead of right. Planet of the Humans. Exactly. There is so much good information mm-hmm. that attacks these issues, but does it in such a better way that you have never heard of because Michael Moore wasn't attached to it. Right. Go find those documentaries mm-hmm. to support. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sad. You know, Michael Moore made a big name for himself. He's done a lot of good. But he, I don't know, I've just had this, the last few months, I haven't been really excited about the things he's been, some of the things he's been saying. He's been moving in a strange direction, and this is just the cherry on top, and and it's really unfortunate. And he's got, as I said before, a huge platform, and he should have taken this responsibility incredibly seriously, and it sounds like he didn't. Yeah, I, I think he's an expert at being an average dopey white guy from the midwest (laughs) so when he says like hey average dopey white guys in the midwest are going to vote for trump and he's going to win turns out he's good at being right about stuff like Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. he's wading into water he has no idea about being led by a conspiracy theorist it turns out and so no wonder he was led astray but he has a lot of followers who say things like you're the only one who's always been telling the truth all along because that's mostly been true all right, along. Right. And, and so and that's and even they'll... more of an abuse of his reputation because he is known as, you know, at this quote unquote truth teller. And so it is not surprising that tons of people thought, here's the next big Michael Moore bombshell that we all are going to get behind. And like, it's just not like this is not Bowling for Columbine. This is not any of those other movies that he has done. This is just an entirely strange turn of events and is disappointing in every way. I find it interesting that not very much progressive media is talking about it. Yeah. And I, I, I you know, I, I did, I did my research. I, I looked for people talking about it. Very few of my normal sources of which I have more than a hundred, mm-hmm. uh, very few are talking about it. And I don't know if that's because they don't realize what has happened because like a Michael Moore movie came out anyways, the coronavirus is happening. Right, like, right. you know, it's probably fine. Cause like it was out for a couple of weeks before I caught wind that there were problems mm-hmm. with it. We didn't watch it. Yeah. We just heard about it, we, that it was out. Yeah. We, 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 I mean, I heard about it the day it came out. I heard about it and that it was free online and, and, and thought like, I'm not in the mood right now to watch that. But I didn't yeah. think it was going to be terrible. No, we also thought it was going to be about greenwashing and that that was like a really good thing to talk about. <laughs> right. I, I, as as we heard other people say today, I expected it to be good. So only after catching wind that it was bad and then watching it, I realized, oh my God, I have to speak out about this. It's possible other progressive organizations are in that same boat. They don't realize this needs to be debunked or they're making the conscious decision to not fuel a fire right, and right. give it I more airtime. Mm-hmm. You know, I certainly have that concern myself, but I don't think talking about it in the way that we have is going to create more interest in it. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, obviously we're hoping to spread the word that it is imminently debunkable and uh, shouldn't be watched, <laughs> should, shouldn't be trusted for, you know, like 85% of it. Mm-hmm. And Maybe more than that. <laughs> And, you know, and, and otherwise, like, there are other better places to get your news. Mm-hmm. And so for those people, like, I, like, I really hope the woman who was like, I just put a solar roof on my house. And now I think I wasted my time. Like, I really hope she catches wind. Oh, yeah, I, I got I hope so. The people that we've lost from this, it's yeah, just yeah, like devastating. We obviously haven't built enough political power 
to win this fight yet. Right. We can't afford to lose anyone. No, no. So we got to try to bring those people back. And the only way is like, they're going to think that they were lied to by someone. Mm -hmm. It can either be everyone they've ever trusted in the climate movement or this one idiot conspiracy theorist documentarian. Mm -hmm. We need to convince those people, no, 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 it's this documentarian who led you astray, right. not literally everyone else. Right. And with that, we will wrap up. If you have any thoughts on this, of course, you can get in touch. You can leave us a voicemail at 202-999-3991 or email us directly. I'm at j at bestofleft.com. And I'm Amanda at bestofleft.com. Thanks for listening. Wash your hands. Stay awesome. Mm -hmm.